Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to share with you the most important tax rules to ensure you never compromise your interest deduction. In fact, there's 10 that I'd like to share with you. Uh, obviously, for particularly for investors and particularly for property investors as they tend to uh, geared to much higher levels than share investors. Um, typically for them, the largest tax deduction you have over the life of your uh, investments really is interest. Uh, and it's very important that you're able to have the right documentation structure and so forth to demonstrate to the ATO why you have claimed certain deductions. And if you're not able to do that uh, to a very high standard, the ATL will simply just deny the deduction uh, and you will then have to pay uh, any shortfall in tax. You'll have to pay for interest and penalties. So therefore, it's really important to make sure that you comply with all the rules. Um, and uh, whilst that's not a difficult thing to do, uh, if you don't understand them well enough, you can inadvertently sometimes put your deductions at risk. And so uh, here's the 10 most important rules uh, that I think uh, that apply to structuring investment loans. Um, and as I said, making sure that your interest deduction is legitimate. There is actually a full chapter in my latest book, Rules of the Lending Game, uh, about tax uh, and implications and those sorts of things. So if you need more information, uh, certainly that's where you can find it, of course, as a shameless book plug. Okay, so the first one is, the first rule is that you only get one chance to set the maximum tax deductible loan. So that is how much you borrow when you initially first purchase an investment property or investment, could be shares, that is the maximum tax deductible loan. You can't go back later on and increase the loan again. So for example, uh, let's say you purchase a property for $800,000 uh, and the total cost of that acquisition is $845,000, for stamp duty and so forth. If you have $300,000 of cash, then you really only need to borrow $545,000. So $845,000 less $300,000, $545,000, pretty simple. Uh, now you can go and do that, but then maybe down the track you think, oops, I shouldn't have put so much cash into that property. I now need to buy a new car, renovate my home, do something that is non-deductible in nature. You can't go back to the bank and increase the loan to say 800 or 845, in fact, and pull your $300,000 out again. And the reason for that is it's the purpose for which those new funds are used that will determine whether they're going to be deductible or not. And so if you use those funds, as I said, to renovate your home, or do something like that, it's it's not going to uh, be tax deductible. Uh, so therefore, when you first acquire an asset, and even if that asset is in fact initially a home, an own-occupy home, not an investment property, um, so irrespective of that, when you first acquire any asset, think very, very carefully about how much cash you really want to contribute to it, because you might inadvertently deny yourself some tax flexibility and future deductions down the track. The second rule is that loan applicants uh, may not have any tax consequences. So that is, 
who is party to the loan doesn't necessarily determine who is entitled to the tax deduction. From the ATO's perspective, particularly uh, with marital couples or spouses, de facto spouses, the main determining factors in regards to who is entitled to a deduction for interest is firstly who owns the asset. So if we have a loan that's in joint names that was used to purchase an asset that's only owned by one of the uh, spouses, uh, then that's going to be the most uh, compelling uh, data or, or factor that the uh, that the ATO will look at. And then two, who's been making the repayments? So if my wife and I jointly go and borrow a million dollars and then I go and buy an a million dollar investment property that's only in my name and I make the all the loan repayments uh, that come out of an account that's solely in my name, uh, then uh, there's a strong nexus there uh, that uh, that I am entitled to 100% of the tax deduction. And the way that the ACO, from a legal perspective, looks like it, looks at it, uh, it's really a partnership. Uh, and uh, you know, I've we've borrowed jointly. My wife has on lent her 50% to me, uh, and therefore I claim the tax deduction. Of course, it's preferable, and I've got a, a tax ruling, by the way, uh, that I've cited in the show notes and on the blog on the website. Uh, of course, it's preferable and cleaner to some degree if you can match the names on the title of the property or or the owner of the investment, if it's not a property, uh, and match those names and the names on the debt to eliminate any doubt. However, some lenders' policies and procedures um, and processes can make that difficult and sometimes costly and sometimes impossible. Uh, so if you know if we do have a circumstance where uh, we have uh, two spouses, one spouse is buying the asset, but the loan is in both spouses' name, as long as we then set up an account uh, to make the repayments that's solely in the owner's name, that's an important one, uh, then then the names on the loan, the applicants to the loan, uh, tend to have very little bearing on uh, on who is entitled to the interest deduction. Which leads me into my third um, uh, point here, or rule, uh, and that is that the, the owner must make the loan repayments. So a common mistake uh, that we've seen is that uh, husband and wife uh, go and borrow some money, they buy an investment property, put it in the husband's name, uh, and the loan repayments come out for come out of an account or a debit to uh, an account uh, that's in the husband's and and wife's joint name. In that situation, what ha- what what you risk is the ATO to argue that in fact you have both been making the loan repayments, and uh, and so joint any joint loans or jointly owned property is uh, assumed to be equal ownership, so fifty fifty. And so the ATO will say, okay, so husband um, borrowed 50%. Uh, husband owns the investment property, so that's fine. We'll give him the deduction. Uh, wife has borrowed 50%, but she actually has no ownership of the investment property. That interest is now non-deductible. So that's the risk, is if the repayments aren't made by the owner of the investment, uh, and in fact, if it goes from a joint account, and typically this is a situation in a marital relationship or de facto, um, uh, then you're potentially putting those deductions at risk. Fourth rule is that security doesn't matter. 
uh, what you use to secure a loan has no bearing on its tax treatment, tax nature, and interest deductibility. So, for example, I could go and borrow a million dollars, secure it by my home, uh, and use it for an investment purpose. The fact that it's secured by my home doesn't really matter. Uh, The security is irrelevant. Number five, purpose is king. The purpose for which you use the funds uh, and its nexus with um, accumulating or earning accessible income or capital gains uh, will determine whether interest in respect to a loan is tax deductible or not. And that's loan purpose is what the ATO look at uh, first and foremost. And that's why it's really important to keep good records so that you can show uh, what a particular loan is used for. And if it's, there's multiple purposes in the same loan, which I, uh, I, I advise against, uh, you still you, know, you must absolutely then have even uh, more impeccable uh, records. So when considering the deductibility of interest, there's three um, limbs or three questions you need to answer. Uh, what's the purpose? There needs to be a nexus with earning accessible income. Okay, so I, the purpose is I'm borrowing to buy an investment property. That investment property hopefully will generate capital gains, but it will definitely generate rental income. So tick. The next um, question is who owns that asset? Uh, okay, so husband owns it. Tick. Who's been making the repayments? Husband has been making the repayments. Tick. It doesn't then matter or it will have um, almost zero or likely to have zero impact of who, is the, who are the loan applicants and what security are you using to secure that loan. Uh, quite often uh, we get asked, well, can I borrow against an investment property, increase that loan and then repay my home loan as a way of sort of converting tax deductible debt? Uh, so we often get asked that question and clearly the answer is no because it's the purpose for which you use those funds to determine whether it's going to be deductible or not. So if I go and borrow or, or take money out of an investment loan and use it to repay a home loan, the purpose is to repay a home loan. Therefore, that's a non-deductible purpose. Number six, don't mix loan purposes. So it's a good segue. Uh, there's lots of reasons not to mix loan purposes. So mixing loan purposes could be Uh, using the same loan for two or three different properties um, to fund two or three different properties. Or a common one would be uh, using part of a loan to uh, invest in property and part of a loan to invest in shares. Uh, And worse still, mixing purposes would be to uh, redraw your home loan to make an investment. So therefore, you then have some of the loan is deductible and some of the loan is not um, the predominant reason for not mixing purposes is really record keeping to to make sure you have an absolute nexus, a connection uh, with the asset and the debt uh, to make sure you can prove it beyond doubt that that is uh, an investment loan. That's the key reason. Another reason uh, is that should you want to repay a portion of a loan, you cannot do that if it's the same loan. So let's say that you've got a, uh, say for example, a home loan uh, that's one hundred and fifty thousand, uh, and you've drawn or redrawn fifty thousand for investment. So your total loan's two hundred thousand, uh, and you sell the investment and you want to repay that investment loan, uh, or you get a bonus, in fact, and you want to make a repayment. The ATO says that you have to apportion those repayments proportionately across the entire loan. So then you can't you can't then when you mix purposes just repay one purpose and not the other. 
So you have to then split those loans out and then make the repayment. Just don't mix purposes. It's, um, it's much cleaner. Number seven, redraw. Be careful using it. And that is to say either use it on purpose or don't use it at all. Um, the thing is that redraw is counted as a completely separate and new loan um, by the ATO. And therefore, it is the purpose for which those those funds, those redrawn funds are used for that will determine whether it's deductible or not. So let me give you a quick example. Uh, I've got a $300,000 investment loan. I receive a $20,000 bonus at work. I know I'm going to spend that bonus on a holiday in six or 12 months time. But in the meantime, just to save some interest, I'm going to park that $20,000 into the investment loan. So I'm going to make a repayment of $20,000 and reduce the investment loans balance from 300 to 280,000. And then in six to 12 months, when it's time to pay for the holiday, I'm gonna take that money out again of that loan, happy days. Well, at least I thought it was happy days, but in fact now what the ATO is gonna say is, you've got two loans. You've got the original one, which was 300, but you have subsequently paid it down to 280. That is still tax deductible. But then you've got a new loan, the redraw amount, 20,000, and because you use that to pay for a holiday, uh, and for most people, <laughs> holidays aren't tax deductible, you've now got a non-deductible portion of your loan. So be very, very, very careful using redraw, and that is to say, almost never use it. Which is a good segue into rule number eight, which is it's much better to offset debt than repay it. As I said, the problem with repaying a loan is that you change the original nature or balance of the debt. Once a loan is repaid, it's gone forever. If you go and redraw that loan, as I just talked about, uh, it's treated as a completely new loan. Uh, so therefore, in order to preserve the original tax deductible loan balance, uh, the best thing is to never make any repayments. But of course, we either want to notionally reduce debt through our life or we have surplus cash flow uh, and we want to uh, offset and reduce debt. So the best way to do that is attach an offset account. And so using that example that I just shared with you, $300,000, $20 bonus, $20,000 bonus, uh, if I had an offset account linked to the investment loan, I could put the $20,000 in there. It would save me interest until I needed the money. I could then pull the money out and use it for a, a non-deductible purpose, a holiday, um, but the benefit is that I never change the original tax nature of the debt, that any debt then is still deductible. And uh, I typically counsel my clients, there are a few exceptions to this, but uh, I typically counsel my clients to never, ever repay debt. I mean, you never just say, you know, you just don't know what's around the corner. So you're better off to have all your loans completely offset with cash than repay the debt and they're gone, you know, they're gone at all, completely. Uh, just preserve that original tax deductible debt. Number nine, borrowing expenses are tax deductible, and it's really important to track them. So any costs that are under $100 can be uh, claimed in the year in which you incurred them. Any costs over $100, uh, which can include settlement fees, um, uh, setup fees, establishment fees, uh, valuation fees if you pay for them, uh, those sorts of costs, uh, they're deductible over the mortgage term or five years, whichever is shorter. 
and typically mortgages are 20 to 30 years, uh, so normally it's over a five-year period, you can deduct them on equal instalments over that, that time. Uh, mortgage insurance is a really important one. If people go and uh, buy an investment property, pay for lender's mortgage insurance, uh, they can uh, deduct that fee, claim a tax deduction for that fee uh, over five years, which is good from a cash flow perspective because quite often mortgage insurance is actually added to the loan. Uh, so you get a tax deduction, but you haven't actually paid necessarily for the cash flow cost of that, uh, that expense. Uh, one really important point is that if you go and refinance the loan before you've claimed all the expenses, so let's say I pay $10,000 in mortgage insurance, I'm claiming $2,000 a year over five years, uh, two years into the loan agreement, I refinance. So I've only claimed two times $2,000, $4,000 of the cost. There's still 6000 yet to claim. Once I refinance to a new loan, I can claim that full $6,000. And so that's a really important thing. That's why I say it's important to track um, because you've got a depreciable asset there and you can write that full expense off in the year that you refinance. But if you don't remember or your accountant doesn't uh, pick it up, uh, you potentially miss out on a pretty sizable tax deduction. And the last um, rule is keep a really good paper trail and keep notes what is clear to you today won't be clear to you, or probably, if you particularly if you've got a memory like mine, won't be clear to you in two years, five years, and particularly 10 years' time. So when you're setting up loans, when you're drawing loans, when you're making repayments, uh, when you're doing all those sorts of things, keep really clear notes, make sure it's really clean, uh, so that if you ever get asked, particularly by the ATO, you could substantiate your deductions very clearly. Uh, remember, the onus is on you, the taxpayer, in order to be able to prove why a deduction is valid. The ATO doesn't have to prove that it is in an invalid deduction. It just means if you can't prove that it's valid, they'll deny it, right? So that you've got a heavy burden of proof on you as the taxpayer in order to do that. And keeping clear notes, particularly around refinances, I find that um, that's when that, that, that can cause confusion yeah, particularly if you're consolidating loans, changing loans, increasing loan amounts, drawing loans uh, for deposits, for properties, these sorts of things, that can confuse uh, the situation a little bit. Uh, so there's two reasons you'd visit an accountant. The obvious one is so that they can prepare your tax return. But the second reason is that they can give you tax advice and they need to make sure that you are complying with these rules, that you understand these rules and you don't inadvertently um, take some actions uh, that are going to uh, impair your ability to maximise or maximise your tax actions or minimise your tax payable. Now that's not always possible. I mean, they need to learn about something before you before you learn about a potential mistake before you make it. Of course, uh, but you know, um, shopping around for the cheapest tax return doesn't always yield the best result for people. It's about getting great advice as well. Now, just as a quick disclaimer, of course, the rules, the 10 rules that I just discussed, uh, just like with all things tax, there's always exceptions, there's always circumstances that need to be taken into account, uh, and there's always exceptions that prove the rule, of course. So uh, whilst uh, th th I've provided sort of a generic summary, I haven't obviously considered your personal circumstances, so please just don't go and take those rules as verbatim that apply in every single circumstance, we need to consider the, 
the situation uh, and you need to get your own personal uh, tax advice. That's it for me this week. Until next week, bye for now.